Welcome back to Russell Street Replay. Really appreciate having you join us for our last podcast before the NFL Draft. And with so much excitement around the draft, we decided to make this one a double episode, starting with me breaking down everything offensive line with Cole Jackson, at Cole Jackson FB on Twitter, before putting together a mock draft duel between Ron Tooth and Mike Natelli to see who can pick the better Ravens 2022 draft class. Without further ado, let's get into the pod with Cole and hear about all the Ravens' options to build the trenches in front of Lamar Jackson in the 2022 NFL Draft. Unfortunately, Ron was not able to join us, but we are really excited to welcome Cole Jackson to the pod. Cole, thanks so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, It's just a guy uh, since Ron, I just put Scarlett to bed and we put Ronnie to bed too. So Ronnie's (laughs) got to catch some shut eyes. So we'll we'll hold down the O-line for it. But thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's a blast, especially with how dominant of a topic the offensive line has been leading up to the draft for the Ravens. And obviously the big one, we're recording this on the evening of April 25th, and this is the day where not only news about Ronnie Stanley is supposedly progressing well in his return from the injury, we can see, we can debate how realistic that is, um, but also with all of the debate about Trevor Penning, it seems like he is shot up in the, in the, you know, taking him at 14 in the first round conversation. And a lot of people don't seem to like that, and I totally understand why, uh, but Cole, maybe you could give us some like rational productive thoughts on penning and and what he might bring to the ravens and yeah there are some drawbacks but overall your your brief thoughts yeah i mean i i i get the concerns we'll call it um i think like i, I gotta credit because i think he said it better than i could uh my guys uh chris aguilar and michael crawford you know they, they made a good point to me in a group chat uh earlier today actually when we were talking about it and they just said you know, he, he didn't dominate the FCS competition the way you'd want to see it um, for, you know, a guy. And it, I think what also makes it tough for me on Penning specifically is that, you know, a similar sized, a similar uh, athletic profile in his teammate Spencer Brown that went to the Bills last year at pick whatever the one pick before the Ben Cleveland pick was. Um, you know, why was he a third round versus Penning being a first round? you know, it's the same type of competition concerns and, um, you know, but they both had freakishly uh, high upside with, you know, their athletic profiles vis-a-vis their size and length. So, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I've always struggled with. It's like, what about Trevor Penning has given him this first round top 15 kind of vibe that he gets. Um, So then you kind of, you get into his tape and he was one of I want to say he was the second film room I did uh, over on two guys watching football when I, when I started these and Michael Crawford joined me for it. And we both concluded he was first round pick, but you know, was he a middle of the first round pick? And I think that's where like, I've been, we'll say, no, I don't want to say argumentative because it's not necessarily that I'm a Trevor Penning guy, but some of the things that I see out there about Penning just bug me because I don't think they're necessarily based in the evidence that you get from him on film. So people will say things like, you know, he, he struggled against Iowa state. That's kind of the big go-to. I did the Iowa state game. I specifically pulled all of his vertical set, you know, true pass looks. Will McDonald, one of the most productive rushers he would have seen 12 and a half sack guy uh, from Iowa state didn't really do anything against him. He was actually ranked with the first uh, number one amount of 
true pass sets in college football last year with 210. And he was, you know, graded with a 98.5 pass block efficiency. That's good for 26th in the NCAA. So he was asked to true pass set a lot. And he was, uh, you know, 26 most productive. That means, you know, I, I've seen the pressure rates out there on third and long, and those are definitely relevant, uh, high leverage situations. And I do have issues with his, uh, with his pass protection. I think um, he actually comes out of his stance pretty quick, but he gets high and he will open. Uh, you'll see with his, his kick step, you'll see his ankles start to open where his, basically his hip flexor opens. And that's a way of cheating. Um, that's what most offensive line coaches will look at. And the whole reason he's doing that is because speed rushers are going to try and take him wide and low and try and dip under his punch. And so they will cheat by opening that inside hip flexor. But if he opens that too early, it's really, really hard to anchor against an inside counter. So something like a bull rush up under your uh, post hand, that inside hand that's going to go up and throw the stop sign out will be very tough to anchor against because you've already opened outwards and then you're going to try and block inwards. So that's a specific example. And that, that's all I ask for is when we have these conversations, civil bit offensive linemen, like let's be specific, let's get into the meat of what the issues are. So what does Penning have going for him? Definitely fits a gap scheme. Um, he's a powerful run blocker. He's terrible in space. I don't care how athletic he tested. He didn't look that athletic on tape. Really struggled in outside zone. You and I used a ton of outside zone. Uh, I think, you know, uh, at least in the games I saw. Uh, but, you know, in his in any of his power concepts where he's down blocking, that sort of thing, he's able to get on guys and, and move bodies. And that's really important. And that's kind of what leads me to my kind of my conclusion if, if the Ravens had signed a left tackle instead of Morgan Moses and they were bringing Penning in to compete at the right tackle spot, I'd actually feel pretty good about him. Uh, he played right, uh, right tackle back in 2019 for some games as well as right guard. Um, so I would have felt a lot better about that. That's the, that was the Orlando Brown role. You kind of run behind him. They run gap, gap concepts to the right. And then his pass protection is going to be hidden a little bit by the fact that it's not Lamar's back blind side. So I would have felt better about that. So I still have concerns with them. Do I want him at 14? No, because I just think there's going to be better players available at that pick. It's that simple, but you know, is he a terrible player? People call him bust. Uh, you know, he's filled with all the bust potential. I just don't see that. Um, you know, he's, he plays with outside hands. That's another issue. That's what's led to a lot of his, uh, holding calls, his own coach, Duke Mannyweather said that himself um, publicly on Twitter. Like he knows he needs to, and I can't discount that enough. He is currently working with literally the best offensive line trainer in the world. A guy that's been recruited by numerous NFL teams to be their offensive line coach. He wants to run a line masterminds. So that's obviously a huge factor in all this because he's been getting the best work this summer. I know some people might think that's cliche, Technically, anyone can pay to be trained by anyone. It's just like getting a personal trainer. Fair enough. But if I'm looking at a guy that I'm trying to see make that jump, I'm glad I'm seeing him with the best. That it's really that's, that it's about that. It's about that commitment. It's yeah. about the the commitment to wanting to take it to the next level. Uh, and I mean, one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the pod is because even in these couple of minutes, I feel like I've just learned so much about penning as a prospect. Uh, and there, there are a couple of things that I want to bring out. One is the whole left tackle, right tackle thing. I think that's a big, something we're going to get into later, later about what are we looking for in terms of tackle? And I just don't think penning fits the can step in for Ronnie right away, but projects his future, right? I'm just, if, if we're at a point where penning is playing a lot of snaps at
at left tackle early in the season, I'm pretty worried. Um, but at the same time, I, I really see the potential for him as a right tackle, as a mover in the run game. That's what we look for in right tackle. And and again, part of me is not being an offensive line expert the way you are. I tend to just trust the Ravens are doing all of their homework and they're doing all their due diligence. They're seeing all of this. And it's not like they're oblivious to some of the same concerns that you know the community seems to have. But clearly, that they have a plan for it. If, if they want to take him, they would have a plan to develop him in a way. And I, I feel like that's the other part of this conversation is at a certain point, you just have to let it happen. And, and I know you definitely feel this way. Just get to the draft, let it happen and go from there. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point on penning too much. So we can maybe move along to kind of what I wanted to really structure today's podcast around was what do you see as the, the Ravens needs along their offensive line and then how they, how they'll be able to address it in the draft. So maybe just start basically with how you see the needs along their line. Yeah. I mean, it obviously, you know, we get the news today and does that mean that Ronnie's actually, we saw the video that came out where he did like the four mile walk on, on sand and he's not wearing a brace and like, it's, it's good news. Um, it's all going to be about how that, ankle holds up once he's actually playing football, you know, plant steps, all those good things. Um, so, I mean, obviously priority number one is having an established plan B at left tackle. And so what I like what they've done is they've kind of created contingency plans at right tackle where Juwan James was healthy enough to get on a practice field in December. Um, he probably wasn't healthy enough to actually push to play, but the fact that he was able to get out there, that means he's not going to be spending the spring so from december till now as well as the early parts of training camp um he's not going to be spending that time trying to you know get healthy or to rehab in order to actually practice so what that means is you're going to go into the first day of camp and i'd actually really love to know and i should, probably should have asked um someone that was there if he was at the voluntary uh training session but besides the point um but uh you know, I, I think you're going to have a really healthy competition at right tackle. Jawan James versus Morgan Moses, um, you know, if James comes back and is able to get back to his pre-injury self, that's a damn good right tackle. That's why he got paid the way he did. Uh, you hear Broncos fans complain about him, and I, I get why. I mean, he's a bust free agency signing, not because of performance, but because of injury. Uh, I remember when we inked him last year, Mike and I went back and watched uh, – we watched his first game that he made it through and then, no, he got hurt in that first game. So I looked at his snaps before injury looked phenomenal uh, for, for the Broncos. And then he came back two different times in that season. So I went and watched those snaps and he noticeably looked like a guy that was playing hurt. And so what I liked about that is he was trying his best to get back out there. He didn't mail it in. He tried to get back twice. Um, so, I mean, that's just a fandom thing where you pay a guy big money, someone that isn't homegrown, if they're not going to be able to get on the field for you, it's going to, it's going to bug you. I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. Um, so, but in terms of his performance, if he can get back to that pre-injury self, good right tackle, really healthy competition. I've already gone back through, I watched six games of every snap of Morgan Moses, um, he was in a tough spot on the jets. Uh, he didn't have, he probably had his least productive pass protection year in the last six years, if I remember correctly. But I mean, they were living in third and long. Uh, they just, it, it was just a bad situation. It's going to be so much different blocking for Lamar Jackson. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good kind of drop back passer, uh, pass blocker. Cause that's not the case. He's actually quite good at it. Um, but it, it's a bit, it's a big difference when you're in high leverage moments, third and 12 all game, uh, 
you know, and I mean all game, it's, uh, yeah. it's tough situations, but he projects really well as a run blocker in our scheme. Uh, you know, I, I talked to, I had a really good chance, uh, chat with Mark Bullock, who's the athletic writer for uh, the commanders. And so obviously Moses was there for six years and he had nothing but good things to say. And he's the kind of guy where he's not ever going to give you more than five pressures a game, but he's never going to give you less than three. And so he's sitting in that three or four pressure allowed game. He's going to give up five or six sacks this year. Um, he's a very, very solid right tackle. As So I feel good about the right tackle spot. They need to solidify, they need a plan B at left tackle because I don't think it's James or Moses. Um, I won't feel good if that's the swing tackle idea. So they need to go out and get a true left tackle, a guy that's going to develop, a guy that's going to maybe be a little pro ready if they do need to step in. Uh, so that's number one. It's that left tackle plan B, we'll call it. And then the other piece that they need to address, because I don't want another true guard, I think I'll flip my table if they if they get another true guard, um, is I, I, I want competition at center. And so this has the added benefit. And I really, to God, wish Tyler Linderbaum was a gap blocker, because I would just say, take him at 14, McCurry becomes that plan B at left tackle, bada bing, bada boom, you're set. But that's not Linderbaum. Uh, you know, he's, he's his own blocker. You see it everywhere. Um, put him in his own scheme. He's probably going to be an all pro, um, you know, put him in a gap scheme. He's not, it's not that he's going to be bad, but you just spent a 14th round pick or a 14 overall pick on a guy that's not, you know, fitting your scheme. And I mean, Brandon Thorne talked about this on Matt Waldman's podcast last week. Uh, really suggest people go listen to that. It was an O-line preview. He went deep, deep, deep. And he talked a little bit about, and, and the context here is Brandon's really involved with O-line Masterminds, which was founded between Duke Mannyweather and Lane Johnson, right tackle for the Eagles. And so Lane had been talking about uh, Jason Kelsey, who is Linderbaum's pro comp. And they talked about, they had Jason Peters and, and Lane Johnson for years and years. And so what they would have to do, because Kelsey was an elite zone blocker, sound familiar? Um, they would have to leave their tackles out on islands to provide pass protection help with like Brandon Brooks and whoever they had at right guard. Um, because it wasn't that Kelsey was a liability, but he's just a smaller dude and he's playing against, you know, bigger one shades, you know, two eyes that are going to slant inside. Um, it's just tough. And, you know, you can create all the leverage in the world, but some dudes are just not big enough to kind of be able to stunt that. And you don't want, you know, a guy coming right up your face. Um, so they would leave their tackles on an Island and give help inside. And that's a common thing. You'll hear O-line coaches say that all the time. I can give help to my center. It's harder to give help to my tackles. Um, so, you know, when I look at Patrick McCary, I think he can do it. Um, I think he can be a fine center when he did play center outside of the snaps. There was never a game where I was like, oh, he's a liability. And that's kind of Patrick McCary more broadly. There's never really been a game outside of the snaps in Buffalo where you felt like he was the one that was causing you headaches in a pass protection standpoint. Um, so if, but if they can bring in competition and so I like Zach Tom a lot in that, in that role. And the reason I like that so much is because not only is he going to compete on day one for the center spot, but in a pinch, just like McCary, he can kick out and give you another contingency plan at offensive tackle. So, uh, you know, Jay-Z was on my show last week and he talked about this a lot. Um, you know, keep an eye out for offensive tackles that can also slide in and play center. Uh, and actually, DaCosta talked about that himself at his presser. So I think that's kind of a key. I think they're eyeing Tom. That's how I kind of took it. So I'm looking to bring in two offensive linemen in this draft. I want a true left tackle that I can develop. 
looking at you, Rashid Walker. And I want a true center that maybe has a little bit of versatility as well, looking at you, Zach Tom. Yeah, I, I mean, I really love those two. And then a lot of like the mock drafts and just looking at where guys are expected to fall, that just some something like Rashid Walker at 76 and Tom at early fourth just feels right to me as a as a value. Um and I, I, again, it means you're not going O-line with any of these really early picks that I think you have a chance to hit on some serious skill position players. Um, I, I also think the other thing is, you know, I agree. I don't know what they would do with a true guard at this point, unless it's just, okay, we're cutting powers and saving the money, um, in which case, sure. And I could see that as a late BPA pick if someone falls. Um, I really like uh, Ed Ingram out of LSU. If he falls really late, sure. But other than that, it's like, unless you can snap the ball for me at a high level, I'm not, I'm not really super interested. Um, so I guess one, one of the main topics I wanted to hit is, and you, you talked about this in the, in, in the uh, talking about the positional needs. Can you give us just like a basic overview, like intro, intro to what a gap versus a zone scheme is and specifically how that relates to the draft? And maybe a couple guys who you see as gap fits for the Ravens and maybe a couple guys who you don't think are the best scheme fits, but you may still like. Yeah, I mean, gap, gap is usually referred to, you know, when I say a gap concept, I'm referring to anything that basically the play is designed to go through one of the one of the gaps. It's that sounds kind of like a bad explanation, but it's it's really that simple. So if I'm running power to the right, it's designed to go behind the tackle. So it's, it's going through the C gap and then the guard and tackler are going to deuce block together to block down and clear that out while the guard pulls in behind running back follows. So gap blocks are designed for a certain gap. Now you'll get certain plays like a duo concept is considered a gap concept, but you're actually reading the Mike linebacker to make a cut. So you'll have two double teams up front. That's why it's called duos, two double teams. Um, and you're kind of reading that Mike to make a cut off of one of the two double teams. Um, so it's kind of, zone-ish but the purpose of zone blocking is really to block space so you have an aim point not a gap so the aim point in inside zone is going to be the outside butt cheek of the guard on the play side so you, the running back is aiming at that point but zone is intended to block space on the play side and allow the running back to cut off of that whatever however the play develops you know you get the, the I think they're real. And I mean, I coach kids, like I coach 13 and 14 year olds. So this is, I always struggle coaching zone because zone is truly about chemistry and teamwork along the offensive line, because you're working combination blocks. That's all communication. You got kids that, you know, they're newer to football. Maybe they're just getting, especially up here in Canada. Um, and so you're trying to, so I'll get constantly coach. What do I do with this guy's here and this guy's here. And it's like, so the best way to say it is if you're on a zone, you're train, you're on your train tracks. So if you're going to take a 45 degree step and stay on your train track and pick up who's in front of you, uh, outside zone, the aiming point is usually the phantom tight end or the tight end, obviously, if there's a tight end on the field, um, but you're trying to push it out there. I, there's a lot of, you know, is there a distinction between outside zone and wide zone? I think there is. Um, I've usually referred to wide zone as it's an outside zone path, but it's intended to use a cutback. And then you can pair things together like a wham concept. Um, so that's really gap first zone. Zone really prioritizes athleticism because you're blocking space. You're trying to get guys out in space. You're more pushing bodies than moving bodies. Gap is the old school, you know, we're going to just hammer the ball down your throat. And then there's also like, I, I described a power in a duo. There's ISO lead. There's uh, 
Um, you know, even the veer is kind of a gap block, um, which is the co option concept that the Ravens use. They actually don't run zone read. Everyone always calls it zone read. I think it's because that's what's called Madden, um, but it's actually not. <laughs> that's definitely what it is. <laughs> it is that. Um, the difference is on a veer read, the read for the running back path and Lamar's path is on both on the same side, whereas a zone path would be the running back path on the opposite side of the offensive line minor nuance but it does matter because it changes up the blocking scheme it's more of a it's a gap concept versus a uh, a zone concept but nonetheless so you know you're looking for true athletes um and and, and i mean it, it's fluid like ronnie stanley was always a better fit for zone but he's your left tackle and your priority is your pass protection and your left tackle but then on the right side for you know a couple of years they had orlando brown beside marshall yonda so what you would see the ravens do especially in 2019 they ran an abnormal amount of power gap to the right and then they'd run zone to the and veer to the left and that was to get ronnie stanley out in space doing what he does best and then he run you know those gap concepts beside you know yonda and orlando brown which is you know a hall of famer beside um you know a six eight three 40 uh individual so it, it it made sense so that's one of the beauties right there in greg roman's scheme uh in his run scheme is he runs a very multiple scheme it's and, and most teams do nowadays they're heavier gap they're about i think 65 percent gap uh but every team like the titans for years were kind of you know with derrick henry were a zone team a specifically an outside zone team but they ran a lot more gap last year um stefanski's now in cleveland they were outside zone for years and years not years and years they were outside zone for you know nick chubb's earlier career um and now that you saw them actually run more gap last year than zone so things are fluid um and so it's it's always going to change you know how do you want to you know draft guys but you're always going to build towards what your kind of base is. It's kind of like your base defense. You're, if you run a three, four base, even though you're in the nickel so much, you're still always going to build towards your base. It's the same thing when you're bringing an offensive lineman. If I'm a West coast offense, quick passing RPO offense, I'm not as worried about, you know, bigger physical offensive tackles that don't need a vertical set like they would an air choreal system like you'd see in Dallas, for example. So, you know, the offensive line requirements um, in certain schemes uh, for pass protection aren't going to be the same, same with run blocking. So that's why I say Tyler Linderbaum as center isn't fit because he's not going to run as much outside zone. He's going to run outside zone here on like 15% plays. And that's where he shined as a prospect. It was getting him out in space where he's literally running as fast as the running back is. Um, so you get him in a Tennessee, a Cleveland, um, anywhere where he's going to be doing outside zone, it's going to be a great fit. Um, now you could make the argument, you know, why not draft Linderbaum and call plays to your personnel? Well, sure, but you've also been building other positions like a Ben Cleveland, like a Tyree Phillips, uh, Kevin Zeitler's a better gap blocker. Um, you know, so you, you you have to have that type of consistency, just like you do in uh, the, when you draft wide receivers. You know, if, you, if you're going to run a West Coast offense, you're not going to draft a bunch of speedsters that only really run vertical plane routes. Um, so that's kind of the nuance there. Yeah, and I think one of the things that that, you know, that, that Orlando Brown, Marshall Yonda example reminds me of another thing about Penning being a really good fit as that right tackle run blocker. Again, not having any certainty of the left tackle position is really the issue. I know Moses has played left tackle, but that's not a situation I ever really want to be in. Um, but again, it's another reason why Penning isn't a like 
crazy, insane, out of this world idea at 14 because he does really fit what the Ravens would want at right tackle. It's just that's not where their need is. Um, when, so when you talk about scheme fits for the Ravens in this draft, who are some other examples, I guess, at tackle and center specifically who you look at as scheme fits? And are there any players who you don't think are the are the best scheme fits for the Ravens who you still like, kind of like and want in Baltimore? <laughs> I think Nicholas Petit Frere is a bad fit. Um, he looks like as a run blocker. Um, I didn't like his path protection. I think he plays like a guard. I think probably be a better fit as a guard. Um, but he's more of a pusher, more of a zone blocker. Seemed to do better in space. Um, on the flip side, Rashid Walker is like he's my red star. He's my fit for the Ravens. Um, you know, he has the power profile. He's physical. Um, he wants to smoke, which is what you kind of want. Um, he, he's really inconsistent. Like, this is the thing. I see how he wins. Like when he shut the door on David Ajab over four quarters, it was some of my favorite offensive line film to watch in this draft process because of how masterful he was in his, in his vertical set. Like it was, he was playing chess out there and he was just tripping up Ojabo all day because he played that game better than Ojabo could. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not consistent. He actually had, he gave up quite a few pressures um he doesn't have the greatest length which is going to hurt some team he is he he checks the box in terms of he's over 33 and a quarter which is usually that measure that people hold um but uh you know he's not the longest dude but you know he's physical he battles um you know he's got the right mindset so and he fits a gap scheme he's a very powerful blocker he's not as good in space really struggled to come off combinations and get into the second level i found but not going to be asked to do that a lot here. He's going to be more in those down block situations, moving bodies. Um, so that's kind of the, the key fit for me. Um, but then, like I said, with my left tackle, my priority is pass protection. So I really like open it easy out of TCU. I like Kellen Disha to Arizona state more zone blockers, but just like Ronnie, I'm less concerned about that. It's when you look at the center spot is where this class is for centers, like really, really, zone block heavy um so a guy that's undersized but has a decent power profile to me is dylan parham out of memphis um people talk about his size quite a bit but i thought i thought he played with power um i would add cam jurgens to that which is ironic because he's almost the exact same size as tyler linderbaum but what i do when i watch these guys especially like nebraska runs his own scheme so i really try and dial in where he's going to be in a one-on-one non-combination block situation if he is running zone or of course any situation where they're running gap and nebraska ran a little bit so you got to see it but he dealt with power significantly better than linderbaum did um so like you know basically what wisconsin did against linderbaum is they saw leo chanel in the a gap and leo chanel just made him his daddy for uh four quarters and yeah uh, just bodied him just it's crazy to watch yeah, yeah I, drive I, I, saw you, yeah, I saw you mention, I've seen that like mentioned a bunch of times and I, as one of the games I went back to watch for Linderbaum and I just like couldn't believe my eyes. It also just reminds me that man, like run defenders in college football are just so crazy valuable in a way they just aren't in the NFL anymore, which is, I like, I like, I like watching run games personally, but I'm kind of old school in that way. But anyway. No, I agree with you. And then a guy that no one's talking about and Dane Brugler just mocked him to the Ravens in a seven round is Ben Brown at Ole Miss. And so I think Ben Brown would be a little bit more talked about, but he got hurt at the end of October. He was on the watch list for the senior bowl. And if anyone will follow the senior bowl, they were really lacking in centers. They had guys like Zion Johnson and 
Ed Ingram actually took some snaps at center um, and Ben Brown would have been one of those guys. So he's a redshirt senior at Ole Miss, 6'5", 315. He's basically a clone of Bradley Bozeman, but he's a little bit more physical. Um, so he, he needs some work. You know, he's very, he's very high in his pass sets. Um, I think he's going to have to add some NFL strength onto that 6'5 frame just because a natural leverage is going to hurt him. But if they want to go out there and get like a true gap blocking center, you take Ben Brown in the fourth round um, and you let him develop. And that's kind of been what they've done at center for the last 10 years as they've kind of gone late rounds and then they just kind of stack guys and they haven't been able to retain anybody. Um, and then there's a few centers out there. Everyone keeps talking about Luke Fortner and Luke Fortner isn't a bad option. He's six, four, he has a bigger frame, but most of his best work was done on combination blocks. So again, is he going to be able to make that transition to gap where he's got to blow guys off the line? I don't think he has quite the power profile, but he could probably do it. Uh, Cole strange is a fun guy. Um, Cole Strange needs to add to his frame right now. He's not really ready, but he's physical as hell. Um, there's a game from 2018 against who's that kid that uh, they traded the Colts traded. No, the, the San Francisco traded the Buckner to the Colts and then the Colts drafted uh, the San Francisco drafted. It was like oh, in 2018. Um... Defensive tackle. Uh, uh, it's not Kinlaw. Uh, Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw. Oh, it is Kinlaw. So there's okay. a game from when uh, Cole Strange is a freshman at Tennessee Ch- Chattanooga, starting at guard, I think it was. And he's battling with Kinlaw, who was top 10 pick in that draft. Right. And it's the battle in him that gets you excited about this kid. Um, I've actually gotten the chance to talk to Strange a couple of times. Um, and he's just like, a true Southern kid. Like he just, all he does is think and breathe football. And so he's just, he's going to come in. He's going to battle. He does look thin right now. Like I think he's got to really add NFL strength to him. And so you wonder how ready he'll be uh, to be a starter in a gap scheme. But if I'm, and I say this all the time, if I'm going to put my money on anyone, it's going to be the guys that battle. And that's what really leads me to Zach Tom because Zach Tom as a left tackle uh, at Wake Forest I don't think people realize what he did to Jermaine Johnson in that matchup this year, but he shut the door on him repeatedly. Um, and it was just straight up battling. Uh, you know, he's like McCary. He's 6'4", 310, um, undersized, shorter arms for the tackle spot, uh, not as short, short as McCary, but wins with position and quickness off the line of scrimmage, um, you know, aggressiveness, physicality, um, you know, things that may sound like intangibles, but again, those are the guys that I'm going to put my money on. Well, and so that, that kind of brings me, you know, you come back to Tom as a guy that you really like, is he the kind of guy that you would take maybe even as early as a hundred if, if he was there to make sure you get him, if he's like your guy like that, especially say you don't say Walker goes before 76 or you don't go with Walker at 76, would you jump up that high or would you take Tom that high? I take Tom at hundred. Yeah, I think I think I think the center. Did you watch them all last night? The me and yeah. Sonny and Jake. So that that was my outcome in the third round. I ended up with three third round picks, and I took Rasheed Walker with the first and Zach Tom with the third. And so okay, okay. I, I think I I think I logged off for dinner during half of the during Yeah. The so that was like there. that's the ideal outcome where you kind of get, and that's yeah. what I was saying earlier, because not only is Zach Tom gonna give you someone competing at center, but he gives you that emergency left tackle ability the same way McCary did. And look how that played out for the Ravens last year. Um, You know, they went from 
a really bad situation. And I mean, they were still kind of in a bad situation because AV was playing a lot of tackle, but McCary came in and did a real nice job at right tackle. Again, there was no game last year where we were like, oh, McCary's killing us. And like, I know that doesn't sound like you want your tackles to dominate. I got to watch two years of Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown Jr. Elite top three tackle play at their positions. Like it was truly special. That's not the most realistic thing in the world to expect. Um, so you really need, basically, you're only going to be as strong as an offensive line unit as your weakest link. And so if those guys are, you know, one of your tackles, they're going to find a way to get the job done, get you out of games, um, you know, keep Lamar safe, That's which is the priority. Yeah. Well, and I think like if Makari is ever your, like Makari kind of not, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but if he's consistently the weakest link on the line, like you are doing a pretty good job. If he's the guy that you're most interested in maybe trying to upgrade from, uh, then your, then your line is actually doing pretty well. Uh, Cause I, I just, I thought he was really great last year. I actually, before we signed Moses, I wasn't totally against keeping Macari and having him in the competition at right tackle. Obviously now we don't need to, but I was really impressed with how he held up against some really good edge rushers last year. I mean, it wasn't like we had a very easy slate either um, in the games he played. Uh, so I feel like we've kind of, we've gone through centers. Um, what, I have one question about tackles versus guards in this class. And there's kind of four guys who I think are kind of getting tossed between the positions. Um, Darren Kennard, Tyler Smith, Jamar Salyer, and Sean Ryan are all kind of thought to be uh, play tackle in college, thought to be something their guards in the NFL, something they can ha- hang at tackle. Uh, what are your thoughts on each of these four players? Uh, and maybe potentially some fits in Baltimore. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure about how Sawyer and Ryan will fit, but I, I think Kennard and Smith would fit pretty well. I think Smith would be a really nice fit as someone that could come in and kind of be, you know, kind of the plan B at left tackle, but also give you that left guard competition if Ronnie was right. So that's kind of what intrigues me about him. The thing about Tyler Smith is, and I know Ravens fans love him, and it's not that I don't love him, but similar to Trevor Penning, really needs to kind of rebuild his technique, especially with his hands. Um, I always say, get your hands out of your pocket. And what that means when I say it to the kids is they will come out of their stance and their hands are basically down to or below their hips. And that that's hands in your pockets. Tyler Smith's hands are some of the weirdest things I've ever watched on a prospect just because they're so undisciplined and he just doesn't really seem to care. Um, and it, it does hurt your strikes because you're, you're, it's, I mean, think about it like uh, you see it in basketball all the time. Guys that are coming out of college that have big windups for their shot are easier to defend than guys that have quick releases. Like look at the way Steph Curry shoots a ball. Um, same concept, you know, as I'm going to bring my hands out and strike them, if I have to bring them up further, that's why you typically see as tackles go into vertical sets or even quick sets, their hands are usually at, you know, their tits. Like that's what I say, get your hands at your tits. Um, so that's kind of the big thing for me is his hands are a mess. He hits high and wide. Uh, another similarity, Tyler Smith led FBS in penalties. Trevor Penning left FCS, led FCS. And I think they both had 16, um, which that's mostly from, they both play with outside hands. 
you know, typically hitting at the shoulder pads that causes a lot of holding issues. Uh, Cause if a guy moves laterally on you, you're kind of hinged on there. You're supposed to be inside hands on the chest plate and outside hands is actually a technique that was taught by the green Bay Packers. Um, and it's a way of varying your technique. It's another tool in your toolbox. Um, and it can be helpful if you have the foot speed to, to mirror uh, and kind of kick or post step with your guy, but without the other, you know, without the feet, to match it, you're kind of screwed. So otherwise you're also just some... literally stopping and grabbing them and that's going to get called. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Especially at the NFL level. And then Tyler Smith also needs to kind of fix his feet a little bit. I'm less concerned about that because he tested so well. So he does have the athleticism. He's also mean, um, you know, he's got that kind of edge to him that I think you like. So I think he can play left tackle, but you know, he's going to give you that ability at guard as well. Um, when I look at Sean Ryan, it wasn't really, uh, it was funny when I went to watch Sean Ryan, I found myself watching Greg Dolkich like the whole time because <laughs> he was just such a fun watch. Uh, but Sean Ryan is, I think the big thing that gives him some potential, I think he's going to be a guard, but I think what would give him potential at tackle is how efficient he is uh, with his feet. He, he doesn't really waste steps. And that is kind of what, you know, eliminates that or not eliminate it grows your margin for error when you kind of lack athletic upside. Uh, but I thought he kind of had a weak outside hand. And so that's kind of a bad combination. If you don't have the range and your outside hands weak, um, you're going to really struggle to kind of bend and get to guys. I think as a guard, he's kind of a really nice fit. So that's kind of my thoughts on Ryan. Um, on Darren Kennard, I just didn't really like him as a player at all. Um, I really don't see him as a tackle. Uh, I, I see him more as a guard, uh, but as like a player overall, I just wasn't thrilled. There was nothing that he really did where I ever kind of found myself being like, okay, yeah, no, this guy's good. Um, and that doesn't mean that he's bad. Um, it's just like, he didn't wow me at any point watching him. And also Trayvon Walker did some really mean things to him in that Kentucky, uh, Georgia game. Like he was long arming you know the daylights out of them and canard's supposed to be the big physical road grader and then i i mean trayvon walker is the best run defender in this class so obviously that's relevant but you know i i kind of felt though canard was like being given as you know he's one of the more powerful guys so it's like you kind of want to see a little bit of a trade-off there um and i didn't think that i got that and then with salier again you talk about guys that are battlers um undersized yeah i think he's only six three uh three twenty five if i remember correctly that dude gave up four pressures in the sec this year um i don't think he measured in overly long uh with his arm length uh but you know i'm looking at it right now he's played all five positions over the last three years for georgia he spent most of this year at left tackle and right guard uh, in 2020, he played left tackle, left guard, and right tackle. And then 2019, he played left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle. So again, a guy that's going to give you ability at all five spots. Um, he was third this year in the NCAA with pass blocking efficiency. Uh, you know, just he's an absolute freak. Um, he allowed four pressures this year, two, two hurries, one hit, and one sack. Uh, so that's really impressive in the SEC. And I know they're more of a run team, and they didn't uh, – you know, when they were passing, it wasn't necessarily a deep passing attack, but you watch him and you're just thrilled with how he moves. He's very efficient. Uh, he's powerful. He gets his hands on guys. Uh, so I think he's got a lot of upside. He came, he came in at 33 and 6'3 arm length. So that's possible again. Uh, but he's just one of those guys where I, I don't know where he's going to play on an offensive line, but he's going to find his way to start 
for a long time in this league. He's that kind of guy. He fits the Ravens. He's a powerful guy. Um, it, it's just like the, the upside of him is he can come in and play all five spots for you, but he's going to be the true left tackle. So if you get Salier in like the second round, maybe the third round, if you're lucky, what's the next move? Do you get, you know, a Rasheed Walker? Is Rasheed Walker going to be there? Do you need to trade up for Rasheed Walker? So it kind of becomes this weird trade off of how you kind of build out and create that contingency plan at left tackle. Yeah, and I think that being the priority is important. And that's, I think for me, that's the reason that Linderbaum is just, I just can't handle him at 14. Like I could handle him later in the first or trade back, but the, because you would take Linderbaum over, I would think at least penning, if not cross being there potentially, and that would really hurt me. That brings me to my last two questions. One is brief thoughts on Charles Cross as seems like the only top, only of those top three offensive tackles, those consensus top three that has a shot at being there at 14. I've seen it happen. Uh, I don't know. I think, I, th- I just think there's a decent shot. ESPN has it as a pretty high sh- as like, he's the most likely pick for the Ravens at 14. So I'm just curious to see what you think of cross. I think he comes in. He's, he's your, he's your pass protector at left tackle right away. I just think I have questions about him fitting in a gap blocking scheme, but I think the upside's worth it. Interesting thing. And, and Thorne made this point on Waldman's pod is that the offensive coaching staff at is he at A&M or uh, Mississippi A&M? state, it's not Mississippi state. Um, the coaching staff that brought him in before I uh, can't think of his name brought in the air raid, um, which is the big argument against him. They were actually a gap blocking offense. So he was recruited as a gap blocking tackle. Um, Interesting. He, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's kind of one of those things where unless – and I don't follow college football that closely, so that's why I get on so many pods to listen because he had those little nuggets that he didn't really quite think of. Um, but, you know, when you watch his tape, he's in an air raid offense, so he's not run blocking a lot. But when he does, you never feel like he's more of a pusher than a true mauler. But I've seen him finish guys. I've seen him move bodies. Um, I've never kind of felt like he was soft. Um, so I've comped him to Ronnie Stanley a few times and my comp to Ronnie Stanley is more that, you know, he can be a true pass protector at left tackle that needs to develop his run blocking skills. And that's really what took, cause the left tackle is always going to hang their hat on the pass blocking. It's never going to be like, Oh, he was a great left tackle because of his run blocking. No one ever says that. Yeah. Um, when you talk about the greats, the JOs, the, uh, Walter Jones, it's their pass protection. Um, but what really brings those guys into the elite stratosphere that, you know, the Tyron Smith, the Trent Williams, all those guys is that they are able to pass protect and also make a difference in the run game. And in 2019, when Ronnie took that step to elite status, it was because his run blocking got so much better. He was playing a little bit more physical. He was moving bodies. They were using him on that beer concept where he would kind of get out in space and use his athleticism. And he was hitting crucial seal blocks for Lamar. Um, so that was really what kind of took him a step up. And I think it was really important. Um, so with Charles Cross, the question is, He's your ultimate, you know, insurance at left tackle because he's similar to Ronnie Stanley as a prospect, in my opinion. Not as polished as Ronnie was coming out of Notre Dame, uh, but he's also not going to go top six, probably. So that's always irrelevant. But it would be that ultimate insurance at left tackle. And then what would happen is if Ronnie was healthy, you're probably going to start him at right tackle. And so people are like, well, Morgan Moses goes to your bench. 
Yeah, I get it. But, you know, given the injury history and the fact that you want to ensure your tackle situation, I don't think having a higher paid backup tackle that at least has, we can call him a swing tackle in that scenario because he at least has experience in 2020 playing two games at left tackle for the commanders. Um, So, you know, if he's your active game day tackle he can get in at left tackle and he'll get you out of that game and then maybe you need to go put Moses at right tackle and slide cross over to left tackle for the next week um so I think in that scenario uh you feel pretty good about what you did at the tackle position and then there's also the fact that Ronnie Stanley if he can't get healthy this year is his career over like what happens at that point at what point are you like oh shit so if you do get Charles Cross, he's going to give you that long-term, okay, we got another franchise tackle. Um, so, you know, you might end up in a situation though, where you have, you know, a $22 million left tackle and 14 overall pick right tackle. I can think of a lot worse scenarios to be in. Um, so I don't necessarily feel bad about that situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely prefer Cross to Penning. I would assume you're in the same boat. Without a doubt. Yeah. He's, he's far yeah. away OT3 for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and so the big debate, a funner debate actually is Raymond versus Penning in my opinion, because Raymond again gives you, I think Raymond's 25 years old, hate that the prospect, especially first rounder definitely wouldn't take him at 14. Um, but in a trade back or a trade back up situation, if he was somehow there, um, you know, he is an intriguing guy because he has true left tackle ability. He's got those movement skills and pass protection. He's a true pass protector. Um, again, I think he's more of a pusher. He's not necessarily a road grader, but you know, he never really, there was never a time where I was like, Oh, this kid's soft. Um, and he's also newer to the position. So you might be able to kind of, it's really, can he play right tackle for you? That's kind of where I struggled with him. Uh, but if they're trying to ultimately ensure that left tackle spot, if Ronnie Stanley can't get ready for week one and they found a way to get their hands on Bernard Freeman and he's your week one left tackle, you're feeling okay. And actually age is probably a better thing because older, you know, more physically mature guy. Um, he's a converted tight end that's been able to get his weight up like 65 pounds in the last two years. And he's maintained his athleticism through it. So that's also really impressive. But uh, I think Penning versus Freeman is a much better, you know, conversation. It's kind of like, you know, you have, they're, they're so different. It's like, you got a young guy that needs technique improvements versus Raymond, who is like an older prospect who's converting to a new position, still learning the nuances of it, but has all the physical abilities in the world. So it's, it's just such a fun debate between those two. Yeah. And I think the, like the, this is where the value of, uh, of the prospects and how other teams value the prospects come into play, because I think the saints and the chargers are both probably looking at penning at their picks after us. And I think if we trade back into the twenties, I'm honestly not sure that pending is still there. And that's when you might be looking at Raymond and that's when you're like, okay, how much of is a downgrade from if at all is Raymond from penning to make it worth whatever extra capital you're going to get by trading back. And the other thing is I think if cross is there at 14, he is the one top guy who has fallen to us. I think like one of the big conversations today also is, I think enough quarterbacks and wide receivers are going to go before us that one of the top kind of 12 or so guys that everyone is really would really, really want in Baltimore versus, uh, you know, your Devin Lloyd, your McDuffie, your Jordan Davis, that everyone's like, okay, that's good enough at 14. 
Charles Cross, if he gets there, he's going to be the only one of those top ones that get there most likely. And so are you going to sacrifice the chance to get a guy who I really think is a top 10 player in the draft at 14 because he's not a perfect fit? I just don't think that makes sense, especially when like what you said about Ronnie, if Ronnie, if Ronnie can't come back, then we have a franchise left tackle waiting in the wings, ready to go and a really good one. Uh, so I think, I think both of those would be good op- or I think cross would be a, a great option at 14 and Raymond in the 20 somewhere. Um, if you're really prioritizing that left tackle. So I know you're a big O-line guy and I've really enjoyed talking O-line with you and learning a lot, which has been a blast, but are there any other guys who aren't O-linemen in this draft that you have that you ha- like, have, have fallen in love with and you haven't gotten necessarily the chance to talk about yet. I'm, I know you've been doing a lot of these podcasts and things like that, but is there anyone who you specifically want to mention that you, you don't think is getting enough love? How much time you got? <laughs> uh, hey man, the, I got all the time you got. Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the guys that I think uh, someone that I really have grown to like is uh, Alex Wright at UAB. He's just Six seven two seventy moves really well. Uh, bends way better than he should at that size. Uh, Jeffrey Gunter out of Coastal Carolina, six four two sixty, absolute freak of an athlete. Um, you know, guys that I think could be had with those kind of fourth comp round picks, um, developmental guys, Dominique Robinson, another edge, 6'5", 256, converted wide receiver, uh, really needs to kind of figure out his pass rush plan from the ground up, but his first three steps out of his, out of his stance are really impressive. Uh, those are kind of guys um, on, on the line that I like as, as edge rushers. For corners, I really like Jalen Armour Davis. I always have an affinity for Bama corners because they play so much single high there that those corners get stressed a lot. Um, so I think, you know, they come out battle tested and fit really well in this defense. Uh, so he's definitely one of them. Tariq Castro Fields at Penn State was really, really efficient with how he worked guys off the release um, as an outside corner. So he excites me. Um, you know, there's uh, who's, who's another kind of corner out there that I like. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of love, but uh, Andrew Booth's counterpart at Clemson, Merib Goodrich, um, plays very similar to Booth. He's kind of aggressive. Uh, you know, he brings the, brings the wood when he tackles. Uh, so I kind of like him. He needs some refinement in his coverage skills, but I like him as a developmental guy. Uh, Josh Ross, Ross, a linebacker of Michigan, is like your classic Ravens go get a special team linebacker that, you know, is on the team for like 15 years. Um, so he kind of excites me. Uh, Charlie Kolar as the tight end is an awesome kind of fit. Everyone's talked about Jelani Woods, so I won't belabor him, but I actually really like Chicky Okonkwo um, out of Maryland. He's a really intriguing guy. Uh, he's kind of, I don't think people realize how many reps Nick Boyle takes out of the backfield. Um, and I say that because Chid kind of projects as a fullback slash tight end H back. And he could really work some of those, those things that we used to have, you know, Boyle doing, or you'd see Ricard do some of them. So you get more of an athletic option that can give you a little bit more juice in the pass game. And that was really his game at Maryland. He was kind of the check down guy who was going out on sprint outs uh, all the time, hitting those flats. Um, and I mean, we all remember the great Patrick Ricard card drive of the Tennessee 2020 playoff game where he had like, <laughs> 18 catches on one drive for a total of 50 yards. Um, but you know, and, and Minnesota this past year. Yeah, that's right. Over that and, game. But, 
hitting those checkdowns is important. I mean, and you, you know, you get a guy like Chig who has some offensive or uh, athletic upside that can, you know, get you some yak. Whereas Ricard's going to be a bowling ball and run through a couple guys. Chig might be able to get, you know, you get him in space, get him loose. He can break one for 30 real quick. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really intriguing to me. Uh, Daniel Bellinger is a guy in San Diego state that blew up the combine. Um, if they want a true kind of blocking tight end, I love Jake Ferguson. Um, when you look at the receiver, I think this is a crazy tight end class for the Ravens, like where their picks are and what they need as a tight end. I think there are a lot, like, I just think they have a lot of options and they'll like, this is a position they'll be able to let players fall to them um, later on day two or early in the fourth, as opposed to, I think they have to go after an edge early, for example, because like 76 your guys, the guys aren't going to be there anymore. You can't bet on that. Whereas the tight ends, there's going to be one of these guys that we've mentioned that's available on day three for sure. Right. And then you look at the running back and it's kind of like, choose your flavor. You know, do you want kind of a between the tackles type runner to be kind of the third runner? You go get like a Damian Pierce. Um, you get like a Brian Robinson who can also give you some pass pro on third down. Do you want like more of the pass catcher to the backfield? You get Tyler Goodson out of Iowa. Um, who's another one? Like uh, Iron Williams. Didn't, he, didn't Kyron Williams like start as a slot receiver? Yeah, and I, I like him, but he gives you almost nothing between the tackles. So, you know, they need to feel pretty good that they need like a true third down back. But like, I always wonder about that because do you need a true third down back if J.K. Dobbins is on your football team? Like, isn't he your third down back? Well, and that's the thing is what I think what kind of running back they take will give us a very good idea of where Edwards and Dobbins are at. If they take a guy who is going to do a lot, then it's like, okay, they're pretty confident about the two of them coming back, but they want someone who's going to be able to just be on the field at all times. If they take someone who's more third down, maybe you're a little bit more worried about JK. If they take someone who's a pure kind of power scheme fit, they maybe then you're a little bit more worried about Gus. But I think that's the other thing is again, with the running backs, just it works to have all of these late round picks with these pick your flavor running backs. Absolutely. Yeah, no, really well said. And then you look at kind of the D line and there's some, there's some interesting guys, Neil Farrell, Noah Ellis, Otito Bognia, um, guys that I think, uh, you know, they could kind of use that six round pick on maybe some of those guys might go in, you know, earlier, but if they're kind of looking for, um, you know, an interior defensive lineman to kind of develop, they would be interesting guys. I don't think they get a whole lot uh, talked about them. Eric Johnson in Missouri state uh, is also a really interesting kind of three tech pass rush upside guy. Um, Thomas Booker out of Stanford, uh, the Henningsen kid out of Wisconsin, really intriguing guys. So, I mean, there's, there's so many out there. I've, I've watched so much film now that, you know, guys yeah. have popped and it's just like, I'm at the point where I'm like, let's just get this thing going. So I know who's on my team. <laughs> we, we all know how you feel about that at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To the aggressive point, to the aggressive point. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's the other thing is this last week it's, you know, figure out everyone kind of gets their final thoughts together and, and then we all get together on, on Thursday night and, just see what happens. And so I know you are live streaming. Uh, do you want to go over the list of who you're live streaming with again on Thursday night? Yeah, I have a very, very exciting uh, lineup over on two guys watching football. So, I mean, it, it's a watch party. It's going to be really loose and informal. It's just kind of got, you know, think of it as guys hanging out at the bar, reacting to the picks. Um, the way we'll kind of do it is, you know, if trades happen, we'll discuss the trades. We're going to have Dan Reese there at DP Reese with the, uh, with the trade value chart, kind of break it down for us. 
Um, and then we're going to mostly just kind of recap guys to get picked what we saw, how they fit, where they're going. So I got Michael Crawford at Abukari. I got Kerry Stevenson at Kerry 1313. I got Chris Aguilera at Chris Just Joking. I got Denard Milton at Denard 13, also of the Fire Zone show on YouTube. I got James Ogden from RSR and uh, his own site, redstarbaltimore.com. And I got Adam B. Moore of RSR. So it's kind of a really, it's some of the top evaluators in this class, guys that I I've had the privilege of, you know, talking through various players. I wrote uh, some profiles for the the draft guide that James put out. So, I mean, I tried to get the best evaluators I could to kind of cut these guys up as we go um, and, and really get into kind of the film. And then what we're going to do is once the Ravens make their pick at 14, uh, we'll still kind of cover picks as they come in, but I'm going to download a couple games and we'll get right into the film of who the Ravens pick and then start chopping it up and see what we see. So it should be fun. Hopefully we're not watching Trevor Penning because there'll be a meltdown on uh on Ravens. Yeah. Live meltdown on the stream. Yeah. James Ogden is a good friend of the pod. Really enjoyed the, the, the draft guide that you guys put together, which I highly recommend for anyone who wants a, a really good primer on pretty much anyone. The Ravens could be considering in this draft. It was really, it was really enjoyable to read. And uh, you know, Cole, thank you so much for joining you know, all the work that you put in, in this pre-draft season is really, it's really great for all of us who are trying to learn more, especially about offensive line play. And it's one of the things I really appreciate about you joining today. I really feel like I've learned a ton uh, in this time we spent together, even though it was longer than we planned. Oh, no, that's all good. You get me talking about O-line, I can go on for hours and hours. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And, you know, the discussions we've had on Spaces and on, you know, Twitter threads, I really appreciate it. Um, You know, I've learned a lot from you as well. So I I appreciate it. And uh, you don't have to say that. No, I have, man. I learned from everybody. Everyone's got oh, something sure. to contribute, something to bring to the table. So, um, you know, keep it up, keep grinding. Uh, you know, I think you have a really bright future in this space. So good for you, man. For sure, man. I really appreciate that. And thanks again so much for coming on. Now we'll go ahead and switch on over to the mock draft duel between my co-host Ronald Tooth and our good friend Mike Natelli who has recently launched his site called MikeDrafts.com. I highly recommend checking it out for any interest you have in the NFL or MLB drafts. Welcome back to Russell Street Replay. I'm your host, Nick Ometha, and with me as always is Ron Tooth. Ron, it's great to have you back. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, pal. You and Aiden uh, held down the fort last week while I was, you know, handling some business, but it's good to be back with you here. Yeah, it was a pretty fun mock draft duel, a segment I'd like to do at least a couple more times before the draft next week. And with us to do another mock draft duel today is our friend Michael Natelli. He's just launched his new site, MikeDrafts.com, which I really highly recommend you check out if you're into the NFL draft. And he's also going to be doing some MLB draft content um, at some point as well. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming back on the pod. Yeah, it's good to be back, guys. This is our, he's, he's a, like a resident mock draft aficionado, excuse me. So I'm really excited to have, uh, to have the two of you on for this duel. So I'll just go over the rules again real quick for our listeners. It's pretty simple. We're using the mock draft network, the draft network's mock draft machine. Um, I have it set on the normal speed. We're going to go through the Ravens uh, 10 picks as they are already set without any trades. And basically at each pick, I'm just going to have uh, Ron and Mike give me who they'd take. Uh, when that pick comes on the board for the Ravens based on who the simulator offers to us guys, any questions or are we good to go? Uh, no, no, I think everything's pretty straightforward here. Let's let it ride. Okay. So unsurprisingly, Aiden Hutchinson is first off the board. I'm really curious to see if there's any big player that drops to 14. Kyle Hamilton is one that gets mentioned a lot. 
he was taken at number two in this draft, so he clearly won't be there. And coming around to pick 14, let's see who's at the top of the board here. And this is kind of the nightmare scenario that we've, oh. that we've talked about, right? Actually, this is almost exactly the nightmare scenario. To give everyone a quick recap, um, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, Evan Neal, Akemikwanu, Trayvon Walker, Charles Cross, Malik Willis, Kayvon Thibodeau, Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley Jr., Garrett Wilson, Jordan Davis, and Jermaine Johnson are all off the board at 14. This is the nightmare, I feel like, for Ravens, for for the Ravens, in which the objectively best player on the board right now has to be wide receiver Drake London, who I'm obviously a big fan of. (laughs) Much to the kill's happiness. (laughs) But if you don't want to go, this is exactly the scenario why I think London needs to be in play, because this could happen. Jermaine Johnson and Jordan Davis are two of the players who people have been leaking to the Ravens a lot because of their needs along the front seven, but it's a good chance they're neither of them are there at 14 and you're looking at Drake London. Um, you're looking at Trevor Penning. You're looking at maybe Andrew Booth Jr. Or Trent McDuffie, the top two cornerbacks. I think it's worth mentioning Devonte Wyatt, even though I'm pretty sure he's off the Ravens board because of his domestic violence concerns. That's something the team has been pretty absolute about. And I would be really surprised if they went with him in the first round or at all, honestly, because of those issues, they have a pretty strict zero tolerance policy. So uh, Ron, what are you thinking here at 14 with this board? Um, well, you know, Drake London sitting there is very, um, you know, it's very tempting. I think at this point, when you, when you kind of scroll down a little bit and you look a little further at the guys who were there, McDuffie booth, things like that, Carloptis, uh, there's a lot of guys in that, excuse me, that sort of 19 to 30 ish range that, you know, maybe, maybe you can trade down, pick up some more extra picks, maybe like a third, something like that. But uh, should you not be able to get out here and should nobody be willing to trade up, which to be honest, would be kind of surprising to me, just looking at all the receivers that are there right now, you know, London on the board, uh, Jamison Williams, Chris Alave, you know, there's still some of those really premier guys that, you know, teams are going to be looking to take, especially some of those receiver needy teams at the end of the first, like the green bays and the Kansas cities, things like that. Um, I do agree. Trade trade down would probably be the best option. Yeah. But I don't know. Mike, you have a clear preference here? You know, I'm torn between three. And so I was hoping that Ron was going to run out the clock while I forced myself to decide. I'm between London. I'm between Andrew Booth and then just going best player available, which to me is Devin Lloyd, who I know on the TDN, I think they have him at like 25 because of linebacker value. But um you know, statistically, the Ravens did have one of the, the worst linebacking groups in football last year. Patrick Queen obviously took a huge step forward, and I have to imagine that some of his lower-end performance there in the first quarter of the season probably had a lot to do with that. Um, but Lloyd the idea to me is, another, is he's another bailout best player available in this in this case that I'm, I'm totally fine with because I, I, see, I see the evaluation on him, and I do think he's a very good player. Yeah, so I'm split on those three. Um, but that said, um, I probably would go London here. That's, but I also think that if a team's going to trade up, I think it's actually gonna be for Jameson Williams. Um, especially when you see teams that can be a little more patient, like the Eagles and the saints sitting there at 15 and 16, um, the saints seemingly traded to get 16 and 19. I don't think for a quarterback, I think to be more competitive in the NFC this year and get a tackle to replace Toronto said, then get a receiver to supplement Michael Thomas. Um, I think Jameson Williams could absolutely be that guy uh, at the receiver spot. So uh, I could totally see Arizona from 23 or the Chiefs from 28 or 29 moving up um, to get Jameson Williams there. 
Yeah, I could see that happening too. And just for, for reference, I'll be picking along kind of in the background quietly while I'm facilitating this draft. So I'll have a class to compare at the end. Um, we have uh, going with going with Drake London is Mike. Ron, did you make a pick? Uh, no, I didn't. But uh, just <laughs> I was, I was like, you skipped me there. Um, no big deal, though. Uh, yeah, in that situation, I would probably go London too, especially, you know, at the time of recording this, we uh, we just got the news that Miles Boykin was released. And while, while that's not going to really be the – dictating factor of whether or not they take a receiver in the first round. Uh, you know, it's clear that they're going to need to bring in some guys at that position. So why not get one who a lot of people think is just the best pure big body kind of wide receiver in this draft with London. All right. So it looks like it's going to be the Drake London mock draft duel and moving on to the Ravens second round pick at 45. We see uh, Arnold Ebiketti just go at 42. And man, if he lasts into the 40s, I would absolutely trade up for him because I think he's a beast. Um, but at the top of the board for the Ravens here, we have the pair of linebackers, N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker out of Georgia, um, as well as a couple of the draft's top running backs, uh, DeMarvin Leal, Travis Jones, some interior defensive linemen, and as well as some defensive backs, Jalen Peter, Tariq Woolen, and Roger McCreary, three at the top. Um, what are some names that jump out to you guys at 45, especially after taking a wide receiver? Does this pick make you want to look for more of an immediate player, immediate impact player at a key position of need like defensive line versus going at another somewhat luxury that might be linebacker? Uh, yeah, to an extent, it definitely does. And like scrolling a little more down the board, you see like uh, George Pickens is still there too, some other good receivers. So kind of makes you, eh, you know, um, a, a little – not, I guess not regretful of taking a receiver when it's a guy like London in the first round. But when you look at who are the guys who there are that are still on the board here, really the only, like the only one that that's a pure, like a super need, like everyone pretty much thinks it's along the offensive or defensive lines is, and probably corner uh, where, where the Ravens really have to focus the most. And outside of DeMarvin Leal, it's, it's really kind of in Travis Jones, I guess a little further down there, but, at 44, I feel like that's a little rich for my blood. So I'm probably just going to go best player available again here. I'm going to go to uh, Nicobe Dean, just get a speedy linebacker to put next to Patrick Queen and really just kind of sure up that position because, you know, that middle line, that number two middle linebacker hole, people kind of like to act like it's not a major concern right now. But uh, something tells me if it's not addressed in some kind of substantial way before September, People are going to be complaining about it really quick, at least in the passing game. Mike, who jumps out to you on this board? Yeah, so I, I would probably go Dean as well, but for the sake of variety, give me Jalen Petrie. Uh, Petrie's done a lot of similar things on the Baylor defense that Daxton Hill did for Michigan. You just brought in Mike McDonald. Um, this is taking Petrie is not a slight at Chuck Clark. I think that instead what it actually lets you do is disguise a lot of coverages by letting either of them step up and play in the slot. Um, you can drop Petrie into safety and have Clark as a sort of a box cover linebacker. Um, we know that coverage out of the linebacker spot was a, a big issue for the Ravens last year. Um, Josh Bynes just at, at his current age doesn't really have the juice to keep up with some of these freak athletes at the tight end position. Um, and so it kind of checks both boxes, right? It gives you some linebacker options. It gives you some safety options. And it also gives you some slot corner options. Um, so while he may not be the best player on the board, I think that the value proposition of checking so many different boxes with one pick um, is too good to pass up. 
Yeah, I mean, I hear buzz about him as a potential like late first rounder, very early second rounder, even just because he does bring a lot of skills that are kind of built for, okay, covering tight ends and really good linebackers and slot receivers. If you can do all, all three of those things at a pretty high level, then you're looking, then you're going to be a plus contributor in the NFL right away. And I think that 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 impact is what the Ravens need to be looking for in this draft. I know in a lot of our conversations we've talked about, they have some really high-end talent. Now you need some guys to fill some roles and take on some specific specific jobs, especially on defense. And so I like, I like Petra for that pick. Uh, moving on to 76, this is a surprise to see Travis Jones, interior defensive lineman out of UConn, all the way down here at 76. Also available, a um, pair of tight ends, Trey McBride and Isaiah Likely. Uh, Darren Kennard, the interior offensive lineman or tackle, if you prefer, from Kentucky, as well as a trio of top edges, Kingsley Nagbure, Drake Jackson, and Nick Benito, all available on the board here. This is a pretty rich board at 76. I know you guys like to do plenty of drafts, Mike, especially you. This is one of the best boards I've seen at pick 76 for the Ravens. And I wonder where Ron is going here. <laughs> I think it's likely that we know his decision. Um, and, and in that case, Ron, I will go to you. And I know you've mentioned it before, but um, yeah, are you going to go with Isaiah likely here? Is that, is that, the, is that the, the chalk Ron move? It is the chalk Ron move. I think third round might be a little high for me and it breaks my heart. It's surprising to even still like to see him so high up the board. It really feels like he's uh, like kind of shooting up people's projections, kind of like everyone was behind the eight ball on him. Couldn't be me, but <laughs> no, uh, there's a lot of great pleasure here, Matt, as you, you know, you mentioned uh, Travis Jones is there. Kingsley, Ebenare, you know, some good guy, Drake Jackson. I think I'm going to go Nick Benito though. Really kind of address that edge rusher need get a guy who uh, Chris Sims last week called potentially just the best pure edge rusher in this draft. I'm kind of starting to come around on him as well. Shout out to our guy, Ben junior sooner. I'm sure he'll love that pick. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Give me Benito. Let's really, let's address a need here. Going with Nick Benito on the edge to get that, that premier pass rushing talent. Mike, what about you? So I I will once again, so this is the fun of going second. I will once again, sort of, stake my claim that Benito would have been my guy uh, for the sake of having some variety. Let's go Drake Jackson. Um, I do like the idea of uh, a guy with just a lot of physical tools being put um, with Mike McDonald, who you can tell in interviews um, with both David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson, they both just talked about his ability to help them figure out what it is they do well, and then go do lots of it. Um, And I think Jackson's a guy where um, his development is going to be very, very team specific. And his floor and his ceiling of his career will really vary on where he goes. Um, but given McDonald, I think he has a chance to hit the upper end of, of that ceiling, which is very high. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things is interesting about this edge class is we almost we're kind of expecting the Ravens to potentially double dip. I think that's something a lot of things we've talked about just because they have only one starting edge player right now in Odafe Owe. Bowser looked really good walking into uh, the castle earlier today. The Ravens, um, some of their early offseason workouts started today. But – um, you know, we don't know when he's going to be back to full strength and also thinking about wanting to use him more as a star linebacker playmaker kind of guy and really having someone like um, Benito or, or Jackson or, 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 an, or excuse me, or an Agbare that can just pin their ears back and pressure the quarterback from the edge um, rolling around to pick 100 here. Um, I don't know if just this this draft really wants us to take a linebacker or tight end because that's the top six players on the board right now. And that's been that's been the case for the last few picks where the top linebackers and tight ends have been 
the top players off the board. In fact, of the top 10, I believe eight are linebackers or tight ends, um, according to, to the Draft Network's predictive board, um, including Jeremy Ruckert, who's been mentioned as a potential tight end for the Ravens a couple times, Jojo DeMann, a coverage linebacker who intrigues me, but I'm really I'm, I'm curious if he faced high enough competition as a coverage linebacker at Nebraska in order to come into the NFL and be able to cover players of all, all sizes and kinds. Um, there's also Zion McCollum, the athletic freak who's been linked with the Ravens quite a few times, just because he fits their mold for what they like in an outside corner between his size and just crazy speed um, as well as Alec Pierce, which is a wide receiver that the three of us have talked about is the big body type that the Ravens are looking for. Uh, Ron, what are some names that are jumping out to you here? Yeah. Uh, Pierce definitely jumped out to me when you were scrolling down the list there. If it weren't for the fact that we already took Drake London in the first and uh, again, not to, not to cheap plug the out to lunch that I posted today, but uh, it's funny. I had a kind of a, a quick discussion about the buzz around Drake London recently and uh, how Ravens Twitter has been talking about him more and more. And my deflection at the end of that was I would much rather wait until, you know, the fourth round and go get somebody like an Alec Pierce. So it's kind of funny how that played out. Um but, but yeah, it really seems like overall, once you get past, you know, the Beavers and Anderson, then you got all the tight ends. It feels like there's a big drop off just in terms of, you know, the, the sheer like talent of players, you know, you can maybe throw Jesse Lucetta in there too, but I think I'm going to go Rucker in this case, get that other tight end to put on the other side of Andrews can kind of do a little bit of everything. Obviously I'm pretty well versed in him being an Ohio state guy myself. So, Hey, you can never have too many Buckeyes on this team. That's what I always say. Mike, what about you? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about it, and I think I'm going to go with Jesse Locata. Um, Locata is a hybrid linebacker. He can really pass or rush the passer. Uh, he can also be a linebacker, a more traditional guy alongside of Queen. And the goal here, I think, especially after you just came out of the year where you lost so many players at so many spots, get guys who can do a lot of things and do them well. Um, I mean, we did that with Jalen Petrie at 45. Um, and now with Lakeda there, you're getting a guy who allows you to kind of double dip at edge without double dipping at edge. It allows you to double dip at linebacker if you want to without truly double dipping at linebacker. Um, gives you lots of options across the board. And, and I think that with a guy like Mike McDonald, again, I know it sounds kind of like a cliche at this point because it's been talked about so much, but uh, he values versatility and he exploits um, a guy's versatility in the best possible way. So um, that's what we're looking for. And so I think that Lucado is going to be a good fit for them. And coming around to pick 110, um, or actually I should go back to Lucado. I really like Lucado, especially what you said about he gives you a linebacker who can also play off the edge. And there, there's some versatility there. Um, my, my big question is, uh, you know, for, for a day for a day two pick, a third rounder, yes, the, the last third rounder, but still a third rounder, how much are you getting, or one of the last third rounders, how much are you getting out of him early is, is kind of what I'm concerned about in terms of his projection of the league. But I also think if... He, he's put in the right role in the Ravens. I think that's a team that can kind of unlock those things for him. Um, moving on to pick 110 here, we still see uh, Greg Dolchik out of UCLA and Jake Ferguson as two of the top players on the board. And then it's a, and then it's a mix. I mean, you've got some of the guys I mentioned, uh, like McCollum, who are still on the board, Brandon Smith, linebacker out of Penn State, who has been um, coming out of the same program as Lucado, who is also seen as uh, a potential edge rusher who can, who can also play generally off-ball linebacker, um, another versatile player that the Ravens, I believe, have been linked to. Um, I think they may have even met with him, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so that, that's one of the names that's jumping out to me here at 110. Uh, what's jumping out to you, Ron? Uh, so 
what's jumping out to me is uh, the running back from Alabama, Brian Robinson, sitting there. I'm just kind of debating if I would like to take him with this or, you know, kind of gamble and see if he'll still be there at 119. Because having that sort of battering ram running back in this offense, you know, to pair with Gus and JK, you know, there's been these reports about maybe Melvin Gordon might be coming in, even though we haven't seen anything in that front. But at the same time, that wouldn't be shocking. Should they not address the running back position in the draft for that to be like maybe a June signing, like that very much screams a Ravens June signing. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess just for now, he's like, he's probably the big one that jumps out to me. Just the idea of that real three headed monster in the backfield. Um, yeah, let's lock him up. Why not? I'll, I'll go with Robinson for this. Pick. All right. Brian Robinson, at Alabama over to Ron's draft class. Mike, what about you? Yeah. Give me Brandon Smith. This guy is a, an athletic freak. Um, we see that the Ravens love athletic freaks out of Penn state, um, which is what Odafe Owe was last year. Um, and where Smith stands out to me most is that he is locked down in coverage. Um, and so he gives you an, a real compliment uh, to what queen can do and lets queen go do his thing. Um, you'll still have Josh Bynes in the room there to be kind of that mentor steady presence. If Smith has some growing pains early on, um, but you got to think that especially in his rookie year, just kind of give him assignments to go shadow tight ends and shadow linebacker or running backs, um, go be effective in coverage and then expand his role, expand his game as you enter year two, year three, year four. Uh, so give me Brandon Smith. Yeah. Now we come up on this, you know, very close cluster of fourth round picks at, at 110, 119, 128, 131 and 141. I think that's five picks in uh what 31 pick span which I think we don't expect the Ravens to stick with all of those picks. I think we're definitely expecting some movement, especially on day two, as we saw some prospects that we liked. Um, Abiketti is a really good example of a guy that I would absolutely move up from 45 to acquire, because I actually think he's a, he's a guy I would take at the end of the first, um, if I happen to have a pick there. So moving on to pick 119, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Ariaza is still there. Um, the punt God who, you know, I know we love Sam Cook here, but it is mm-hmm. funny to think about the Ravens' love of special teams and them actually being the team to use a fourth rounder um, and, a, and a pretty early one at that on, on a punter. They they would be the team. Um, and still on the board in this sim, and, and just for everyone's reference in the simulator, I've just been taking the top player um, on TDN's predictive board just to keep the draft kind of smooth. Um, and that does mean that guys like uh, Jelani Woods are available. Brandon Smith is available if Ron wants to take him, at, um, though Mike already has. Um, Alec Pierce, Cordell Volson, offensive tackle of North Dakota State. Um, what, what are you guys looking for right here at 119? Uh, well, I just saw you were scrolling kind of quick, and I saw that Kobe Bryant is still there, the cornerback from Cincinnati. That that feels like a steal to me at this point. I'm hopping all over that if I'm the Ravens. Uh, in my mock draft personally here, I'm, I was yet to address the secondary. It was something that I definitely wanted to get to in these later rounds. Obviously, it's something that the Ravens are going to have to address when you look at and, and you know the corner room right behind Peters and Humphrey. It's it's pretty quiet in there because there's just nobody there. So if you can bring in a guy you can develop like Kobe to kind of sit behind them and also probably get some good playing time this year as well. I think that's a slam dunk pick in the fourth round. Mike, anyone that you see that you really like here? So I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to keep track of who I've taken um, and relative to this board. I think a couple of my guys are still on here. Um Give me Jalen Armour Davis. You know, we took Jalen Peacher who can play inside. I think we need another corner, though, um, who is more of a true corner. And so this way you're sort of doubling up in the secondary, making sure that you're good to go. Really like his upside. 
And of course, hilariously, this means that Ariaz as the top player on the board, and at least in our sim, will be a Raven as I continue on here. Um, this is one of the areas of the draft that I think there is the most kind of lack of consensus about, um, especially within like the Ravens community of people who, who you know, we, we talk a lot on Twitter about this stuff. And there's just no clear idea of what to do with these picks because this is where I would say you don't necessarily draft only for need, but you start thinking more about need in these rounds after you try and get the best players available because it's rare you have a 14 and a 45 for this team. Usually it's a 25 or later and a pick in the 55 or later range. And so having a pick in the in the teens and the 40s means, you know, you're going to look best player available more than you are in the later rounds. But now you want to fill some holes. And I think a good example of that would be Jelani Woods, who is the tight end from Virginia, who's at the top of the board, who has who had an unbelievable athletic testing circuit before uh, in his pre-draft process and is exactly the kind of vertical threat the Ravens would want to would want to add. Um, Chigo Conqua was another name out of at the University of Maryland, um, a, another vertical threat that they would want to add to this offense. Uh, looking further down, there's Zach Tom, who really intrigues me as a versatile offensive lineman. Um, a couple interior defensive linemen that you're going to start to see. Um, one example is Jermaine Lowell out of Arizona State. Um, after that, it starts to really thin out in terms of the the quality and the uh, and the depth of this of this class. It seems like the Ravens um, having most of their picks end at one forty one means they're going to get some several high upside contributors without having to take too many flyers on on late round day three picks. Though I do still expect them to add a day three pick at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you look at the board here, and not not just the way that this board shook out, but just in kind of a general sense. I think this is probably the place if the Ravens do look to address a running back spot short of like something crazy happening, like, you know, Brees Hall falling to them in the third, something like that. I, this is probably the spot they'd look to address that position. I'm not going to for my draft, but you know, when you look at some of the guys in this part of the drafts, Namir white, Damian Pierce, even Hassan Haskins, the pass catching running back out of Michigan, there's still a lot of guys there. So this is probably the area of the draft where I would start looking for them to, you know, focus on drafting that number three running back, unless they sign Melvin Gordon before then, in which that changes everything. Um, I think for me though, I'm going to go with uh, Josh Job, the corner out of Alabama, kind of, kind of doubling down on my last two. I went with Bryant for my last one. Uh, we'll go Job here and really just kind of build the future of that corner room. I mean, there's, there's no better guys you could sit behind and learn while also getting a lot of good on the job experience. Like, Humphrey and Peters. So, you know, for Job and Brian in my mock personally, that would be, uh, you know, be pretty sweet. Yeah. One thing I really like about that duo is that even though they are rookies and, and do project as somewhat developmental corners, I'm okay with them playing a fair amount of snaps as rookies because they played a lot of snaps against really good competition last year. And so at a certain point you, you kind of, you know, they can at least hang in there and they're not complete liabilities. Like, you know, there are certain, there are, I can't think of a good example, but there are definitely some physical freaks from smaller schools that teams are excited about, but they're not really sure. I mean, Zion McCollum's a good example from Sam Houston state that teams are excited about, but the ability of him to contribute right away is questionable. Um, Mike here at 128. What are you thinking? Yeah, I know that Woods is the best rated tight end, but I'm going to go with Chigo Okonkwo out of Maryland. Um, Woods is still a lot more raw, in my opinion. What you can ask him to do right away is just less. Um, Okonkwo is just a more established tight end. And, you know, part of why 
I think it was so important to invest in London early on is that when we saw Lamar Jackson at his best, he was primarily throwing to tight ends. And then while he was by no means an elite receiver, he also had a six, two guy out there in Seth Roberts. Um, and Miles Boykin was a bigger part of the offense at the time. And so you were essentially giving him the broad side of a barn to try and hit. And with this draft, what you're trying to do is get him back to that, especially with Boykin gone. Um, my, or Rashad Bateman is currently the only receiver that is six foot or larger in the receiver room. And if you want Lamar Jackson accurate, you need to give him more big targets. And so if you give him Andrews, you give him McConkle, you give him Drake London, you start to give him some size along with Rashad Bateman, who is not a small receiver by any means. Um, and so I think that if you want him to get back to that 2019 form, you got to give him more of what he had in 2019. Um, but better, which is what we get to do here. So give me Chico Okonkwo. Yeah, I think I really like Okonkwo. And I think I think Woods or Okonkwo are kind of my the two tight ends I kind of prize the most, partially because of the pick range I expect them to in. I think it's easy to just use a fourth rounder on them, whether it's 119 or 128. And I also think that they... Um, can learn a lot from Andrews. Andrews has developed as a really like cerebral smart tight end is one of the kind of underrated parts of his game. And I think that that's something that he's, he's going to be able to pass on. And I think the idea of having, um, you know, thinking long-term having a, a trio of, okay, you still have Ricard locked down. You have Andrews locked down. I think this team is going to move on from Nick Boyle after his contract expires, unless he takes a really significant pay cut. Um, because the injuries have just been a problem. And instead you think about a guy like Woods or a who, the Ravens are actually quite good at coaching up tight ends blocking. I mean, Andrews emerged as a great blocker this past season. Um, and it's, it's, it's an aspect of the game where I think Woods and Okonkwo both have the size if they really work on it to fit that Ravens mold of a tight end um, here at 139, This is a super interesting juncture to me because if you can somehow figure out what the Packers are looking for at 140, that's how you're arguably going to optimize these picks. Um, even though they might be looking at a completely different player than you are, at least knowing um, what's going to be available one pick later could be really useful when you have these two picks so close to each other at 139 and 141. Alec Pierce is a big name that we've been talking about that's still on the board. Um, and then after that, it's just a handful of players. Um, you know, Jermaine Lowell's interior defensive lineman that's still there. A lot of running backs here, as Ron was saying, I could definitely see them going running back um, here at, at this juncture as well. Um, a couple offensive tackles who are probably more developmental guys, although I'm a big fan of Max Mitchell out of Louisiana. Um, Amari Barno out of Virginia Tech seems to have a lot of the physical traits, but very little of the refinement that you'd be looking for. Um, Jack Sanborn, a linebacker out of Wisconsin. There, there are a lot of intriguing names here that I think um, this is part of the reason why I think the Ravens should use one or both of these picks in a trade at some point is because I don't think you need two bites at this particular apple. I think I'm comfortable taking one of the several players that's available here. Ron, anyone that you prefer? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I like your strategy as well. Um, it's funny because I feel like the player that Green Bay would be trying, trying to trade up for in this scenario would be Pierce. He would essentially be kind of the, yeah, the new Jordy Nelson out there. But if I hadn't um, taken London, I would take him. So exa yeah, exactly. And I'm still kind of going back and forth and whether or not I want to. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to just for my draft. Yeah. Let, let's double down on the wide receivers. Let's to, to Michael's point, the argument he made about surround Lamar with as many big bodies as possible to also compliment, you know, the Hollywood Browns and the Batemans, who's the kind of the more tough catch guy. Well, and I know, I know we rushed you with that first rounder. So if you want to, if you, at the end, when you're presenting your class, if you want to give us a different first rounder, we can, we can let that pass honestly, just for the diversity sake of the draft too. Yeah. Uh, no, it's okay. We'll stick with this. I, I like the idea of bringing in both of those guys, to be honest. 
Um, so that brings that, that, I mean, especially after cutting Boykin, that brings some size back to this receiver room. Uh, Mike, who are you targeting with this pick? Yeah. So I haven't taken a tackle yet. Um, but as far as guys, I feel comfortable running out there in a world where Ronnie Stanley's not healthy. Um, I'm not really seeing anyone. I do like Mitchell as a developmental guy, but I'm, if you're taking a tackle here to me, it's, it's a guy that you can run out there. Stanley's not ready to go. And so to me, that guy is actually Patrick McCary. And so for that reason, I'm actually going to take, uh, Luke Fortner out of Kentucky who can step into the center spot. If you need to move Patrick McCary out to left tackle, um, it's sort of an end around way to take tackle depth, um, while also still making sure you're getting the best players available. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a good, that's a good strategy because uh, I think one of the things that we, 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 we think about it in terms of tackle is not only a guy who can trot out and replace Stanley, but I'm also looking at a guy who can be the right tackle of the future. And I'm not also seeing any of those guys here at this point. Um, the rest are mostly developmental guys. I think there's kind of a gap between the top three. There's a couple that might go late first, early second, and then there's going to be a lot that go the rest of day two. I really don't think there are any super valuable tackles left on the board day three by the time the fourth round goes around, which obviously makes sense. A very premium position. Um, looking at pick 141 here, Rashad White and Zamir White, top two running backs are on the board, as well as Jerome Ford and Sincere McCormick. Um, further down, some of the offensive tackles that we just talked about are still on the board, um, as well as Otito Agbonia, an interior defensive lineman of UCLA, who I quite like. Um, now, further down, there's a lot of safeties. Um, I know Verone McKinley is a name that the three of us have talked about a little bit. Uh, Ron, are there any names that jumping out he, uh, jumping out to you here after taking Alec Pierce at 139? Uh, none that are really overly jumping out at me. Uh, for the sake of my draft, I am going to go Max Mitchell here just because I don't want to kind of risk that going into the last, you know, their last pick having to get an offensive tackle. I'd rather get a guy who, even though he is a little bit more of a project, I feel like he's the best of the projects, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Mitchell here with my second to last pick. Mike? Yep, so this is where I have Areza penciled in. I guess I don't technically know if he'd fall here. We, we, we don't know because I know we – I think one of you guys took him earlier on. But um, for argument's sake, I'm going to assume he fell to 141, and that's where I'll take Areza. Uh, it's not even so much that he's a great punter. It's the fact he's a great punter and also the fact that by taking him, you have to think that you're freeing up um, that punter spot moving on from Sam Cook. Um, so when you factor in that 2 million or so along with the 2.45 that, uh, miles Boykin just created 4.45 is almost exactly what Marcus Williams year one cap hit is for perspective. So when you talk about the flexibility you're giving the Ravens by doing that, the value of getting a guy who's just going to help you dominate the, the, the field position game, um, and also freeing up four and a half million functionally between him and Boykin cook and Boykin, um, you can also go get another really good player, uh, probably a better player than you get taking a guy at 141. So that's kind of the, the dual logic there. Yeah, and I think now the the gap between that last fourth rounder and then the Ravens' uh, sixth round pick, which I believe is pick 196, um, I think this is so, uh, somewhere in the fifth round, I think they'll add a pick um, just because it feels like a really long time to go without a pick. And I think they'll want to be active in – day three of this class. They've talked about targeting this class for a couple of years, especially after COVID hit and seeing how many players were going to get an extra year of experience before they came to the NFL and be even more well-rounded. And especially in terms of the makeup of where this team is right now, I think that, I think we can agree. That's a, that's a pretty major priority is having guys who can 
come in and be, if not starters, obviously you're not drafting all starters on day three, but reliable backups who you're comfortable putting in in a pinch as the Ravens were in several pinches last year, you need to be aware of, um, you know, what kind of, what kind of players you're getting um, on day three and the extra year from COVID really, really helps the development of a lot of these guys. Um, a name at the top of the board, I know Mike's probably going to jump that right away, is Darion Kendrick out of Georgia, cornerback. Um, a lot of cornerbacks at the top of this board, Chase Lucas, Tariq Castro-Fields, and Isaac Taylor Stewart, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, um, as well in Kellen, is Kellen Deesh, who um, PFF really likes Kellen Deesh because of how well they graded him last year, but I just can't see him projecting in our scheme at all. Um, further down, there's a couple, uh, a couple tight ends, Charlie Kolar, who I think is very underrated as well as Austin Allen, Tyler Arguer running back Taekwon Thornton. Again, if they're going to go, instead of going with any early picks on a wide receiver and take a stab on a late round, big body, um, that might be Taekwon Thornton. Um, any other, any other players here that you're especially looking at, uh, Ron? Uh, n- nobody that I'm really like super keying in on my pick here would probably be Darion Kendrick. Um, when you can get this might seem like a little bit of a chalk and like a surface thing, but I feel like a lot of times that can't that, you know, people tend to overthink things. Sometimes, you know, I look at Kendrick, he was a corner at a huge school, obviously Georgia won the national championship this year. He had two interceptions in the game against Michigan, the, uh, the national semifinal. He was a former wide receiver, actually just, uh, he was converted to corner. Um, there were some like behavior issues. I think uh, he was arrested for something that was later expunged. Um, he, he was dismissed from Clemson, I believe. So there might be some issues there. Uh, I know that there were some guys that we passed on earlier. Uh, I believe with Devonte Wyatt, it was because of the domestic violence issue. This is a little different. This isn't, you know, what he was arrested for. It was, uh, I believe drug and gun charges. So not great but the charges were also dropped against him. So who knows? Maybe they just wouldn't want to take that on at all for the sake of this draft. I think anytime you can bring in a starting sec corner to your team, uh, I think that's a good thing. So I'm really, uh, the theme of my draft is kind of using these later rounds to really rebuild that, that cornerback room. So yeah, let's go. Let's take them. Yeah. It's worth considering. I mean, Peters is, you know, Peters is entering, this is the last year of his contract. Right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it depends on if the, uh, you know, I know the team loves him and I really like him as a player, but it is a business. And with Lamar Jackson's contract increase that is going to come in one form or another, it's going to be hard to hold on to two all poor cornerbacks like that, especially a guy like Peters who, yeah, I mean, he's later in his career and he's probably going to demand a little bit more money than he might actually be worth um, to stay in Baltimore with, before he tests the open market. So I'm very curious to see what happens there. Um, Mike, are you also going to go with Kendrick or mix it up a little bit? So it's hard for me to take him because I just don't think he's there at, at this far. I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know the guys at TDN, so I don't, I don't know why they have him down at 180. To me, I don't see him getting out of certainly the fourth round, if not the third round. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so just for, for quote unquote, realistic sake uh give me thomas booker out of stanford i haven't taken an interior guy yet and eric DeCosta has talked about wanting to make sure that he adds some youth to that interior room um so give me booker he's been uh climbing lately he has a lot of really good traits um as far as being a guy who's not just a true nose tackle but can do some other things as well um i think he'd be a good fit Okay, well, that concludes our draft class uh, here. And uh, first, Ron, can I have you just read off your draft class and give like a brief overview of kind of what your what your takeaway is from it? What do you think the Ravens get out of it? Yeah, so I went uh, Drake London, Nicobe Dean, Nick Benito, Jeremy Ruckert, Brian Robinson, Kobe Bryant, Josh Job, 
Alec Pierce, Max Mitchell, and Darion Kendrick. Uh, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, the, the theme at least of, you know, sort of the end of day two into day three was rebuilding that corner room. It's something that, you know, John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta have expressed. It's, it's a point of emphasis. And if you can't go and get, you know, a sauce Gardner or a Stingley in the first round, why not just build it with sheer numbers? And when you can bring in three guys, all of whom are, could step in and are at least aren't, um, let, let's say, playing in big time games and moments aren't foreign to any of those guys you bring in, you know, Bryant, Job, and Darion Kendrick. So uh, that was good. You bring in the big body guy with as uh, in Drake London, along with Alec Pierce. So you give Lamar two, you know, really, really big targets to throw to this year. Uh, Nicobe Dean and Nick Benito really helped kind of uh, reshore up that front seven. And then you got some, you know, some other cool little pieces in there to play with too, like Rucker who can uh, slide in right alongside, uh, Mark Andrews, we mentioned that Boyle probably isn't too long for the Ravens. So having a guy in place who can already come in and sort of fill that spot and have a year underneath him before that happens is, is good. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of addressing a few different holes in this one. And Mike, what about you? Can you give us an overview of your draft class? Yep, let's go. Let's uh Pick 14, Drake London, receiver out of USC, 45, Jalen Petrie, the, the safety slash slot corner hybrid out of Baylor, 76, Drake Jackson, the edge rusher out of USC. I pick 100, it's Jesse Locata, the, the edge slash linebacker hybrid out of Penn State. 108, it's Brandon Smith, linebacker out of Penn State. 119, Jalen Armour Davis, corner, Alabama. 128, Chico Oconquo, tight end out of Maryland. 139, Luke Fortner, the center out of Kentucky. 141, Matt Areza, the punter out of San Diego State. And 196, it's Thomas Booker, the interior guy out of uh, Stanford. And, you know, I think a couple of things that stand out, obviously London giving Lamar a receiver with size. Um, rebuild that front seven with Jackson, Lucada, and Brandon Smith. You feel really good about that, I think. Um, you want to give Mike McDonald as much an opportunity to sort of do the fullness of what he does well as a defensive coordinator. So you take um, – guys with a lot of tools, but also production. You take a lot of hybrid guys like Lucada and Petrie. Um, you give yourself a lot of sort of um, insurance options across the board because Petrie and Lucada can do a lot of different things. Um, and so when you're trying to guard against injuries, um, having multiple guys who can step into multiple roles is big. And I think the same is true with Drake London, not so much when, it talk, when you talk about um, versatility, but right now while there's, the Ravens have a deep receiving room, um, they don't have a deep receiving room with a whole lot of upside, right? If Marquise Brown or Rashad Bateman were to go down, that offense is suddenly looking a lot more thin. So you really guard against that um, by making sure that you feel pretty good about your odds of having at least two really, really high upside receivers out there at all times. Um, you shore up against Ronnie Stanley's injury in a more creative way by allowing Patrick McCarry to potentially become that swing guy or the emergency left tackle, maybe kick out to right if needed um, by having a steady center and Luke Fortner. And then you play the field position game with Matt Areza, um, who can just really help you set yourself up well on defense by pinning defenses far back on the field. We'll also free up some cap space by letting you move on from Sam Cook. So, um, you know, probably wanted at least one more high upside guy there late in the fourth round. That's maybe the one place I wish I could have improved, but as a whole, feeling pretty good about it. 
Yeah, I really like both of those draft classes, and I was kind of picking along and making my picks on a, on a separate note document in the background. I'll give mine now. I also went with Drake London and, and Nicobe Dean to start. It's just such obvious best player available to me in that scenario. London is a top 10 talent to me, and Nicobe Dean is a first-round linebacker to me, even though he's not necessarily built for what I'm looking for in a, in a, like in a Devin Lloyd-type linebacker. Lloyd to me is a top 15 player. And so getting, getting to me, the second best linebacker in the class and F 45 is great for this, great for this defense. But then I started to go kind of pick off my needs and I didn't try. I tried not to reach for anyone too hard, but here's where I went. I went with Travis Jones, interior defensive lineman out of UConn, who I noted was available at 76 at 100. I went with Zion McCollum and, and that might be a bit of an early pick for, for a guy who's developmental corner. Um, but like, like Ron mentioned, I really think learning behind Marlon, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters is going to get the most out of him in a way that honestly, I'm not sure another team could, um, Brandon Smith is another guy I'm a huge fan of, again, being able to take, I see a ton of uh, uh, like edge upside for him, but also being able to learn from Bowser in terms of playing that kind of star linebacker role, where he's a little bit more roving and flexible than just pinning his ears back and going after the pass rusher. Um, Then I went with Jelani Woods, another one of my guys, if you couldn't mention by me constantly mentioning him. Um, I think one of the things is lack of refinement comes from a lack of getting time to actually run routes. He only really ran routes consistently for one season in college and looked pretty shifty when doing it um, at Virginia. And so I think there's a lot of potential for him to grow in the NFL. Zach Tom is another versatile offensive lineman favorite of mine, who I think is not a preferred choice to step in for Ronnie Stanley, but is probably the last tackle in the draft I would take maybe um, to, to step in almost right away because he is a really good pass protector, um, but he also can play center. And I think the idea of having a guy where, okay, if you'd rather have Makari at left tackle, you can put him there and put Tom at center or the other way around. Um, I keep thinking that flexibility when you don't know the true state of your offensive line is really important. Um, I then went with Josh Joby um, at 139. Um, this was a pick that to me, um, Ron really hit it on the head. You really need to build this cornerback room. And I think McCollum is a great developmental guy. Joby comes in with a little bit more of a higher floor. And I also think he didn't do it too much in college, but I think he's got some potential to, to play in the slot. I think he has the quickness to do so. I'm not, I'm, he needs to improve his tackling for sure if he's going to stay there. Um, but I think, he can, I think he can help you out there in a pinch. I then went with Amari Barno out of Virginia Tech as just a pure pin your ears back and go after the quarterback edge rusher that I think the Ravens have not done a great job drafting in recent years. I really like Dalen Hayes, but he is more of an all-around outside linebacker than just a pure pass rusher. And I think that they need to find a guy who they just put out there on passing downs to attack quarterbacks. And finally, with my last pick, I went with Cade Mays out of Tennessee. Um, He's an interior offensive lineman who I just think is a great guard fit in our scheme. One thing this would do would allow you to cut Ben Powers and free up a couple million dollars there. We talked about doing that. Um, If you draft a wide receiver, doing what the Ravens did today, cutting Miles Boykin, um, they could go for the same thing with a high upside guard who fits in our scheme really well, like Mays. Um, and I, while I know that it's not easy for players to just learn how to become centers, I also think you can say, okay, you're a developmental guy. Spend some time trying to learn to snap the football in your rookie year. And if that works, great. And if it doesn't, it's not like we, we were expecting him to take over right away. But I do think when you take a guy who fits really well in your scheme late in the draft, you do have the opportunity to say, okay, you already are kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to playing in our offense. Let's see what else you can pick up. Um, so overall, I think um, I don't, I don't beef up the secondary. I don't, I don't get the cornerbacks I would really want. And that's, that's the one thing that concerns me about picking a cornerback waiting until the third or later to pick a cornerback is that 
I would argue that we need a guy who can start at some point in his rookie season. And I'm not sure um, that you're going to be able to get that before or sorry, after after the second round. And that's probably my, my big concern about this draft. And honestly, a lot of the mock drafts I see is, is the cornerback room in Baltimore. But I also am just kind of convinced they're going to sign a vet at some point. Um, and I think that could be where this, this Miles Boykin release might be freeing up the money for. Obviously, I don't think that happens before the draft anyway, but I think that is probably my priority post-draft signing um, in any case, but especially in the case of this mock draft. All right, gents. So we got three competing graph classes. Uh, we'll make sure and get these up after this episode goes up on, on all of your podcast platforms. We'll make sure to get these draft classes up in a poll on Twitter and, and see which one people like more. Um, as for anything else, Ron, Mike, any last reactions to the mock draft? Uh, no, I think, I think we all did a pretty good draw, uh, job of addressing some important needs for the team. Obviously, I'm sure the Ravens do the same thing next week. So it's pretty much full steam ahead to next Thursday from here. Yeah, but Eric Acosta, if you're listening and just, you know, don't know what to do, just call the three of us up. We'll get in a Zoom and figure it out for you. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks so much for joining. Have a good one.